0: Hello and welcome to episode 2.1 of Off The Record. I'm failing at my promise to make there be less Taylor Swift in this podcast, apparently. But I think we have a really cool episode coming up. One of our contributors made a really cool, fun way of looking at a band and analyzing it that I think is really cool. I talk with Clyde Smith about... The sacred space of the stage and whether bands and speakers should be interrupted, and then why we both think that Bernie Sanders is the candidate that DIY musicians should be supporting. I know not everybody's thrilled about thinking about politics all the time, but I do think this is an important thing, especially if you're looking at what you can do to make it more likely that indie bands and indie musicians are able to support themselves in the coming years. I promise this podcast will not be turning to all politics as well. But first up, we have a really cool talk about how photographer rights are changing and the ways musicians are manipulating photographers. These days, a lot of music media is always focused on how musicians are always getting the short end of the stick. Sadly, there's one group of people who are often music lovers who get an even shorter end of that stick, and that's music photographers. Because there's so little money in music photography, it's actually stunning how much musicians are bullying them around and adding new things to make photographers' lives worse. Because of that, I wanted to talk to some music photographers to get their side of things. First up, I have Nick Karp, who's a music photographer out of New York City, explain what he's been seeing with contracts
1: there's a there's a few different types of contracts within music photography, and with that, uh, bigger artists usually hold these contracts and within that there are, you know there are editorial contracts, which are, you shoot for a publication. You can only use your photos for said publication for one-time use. Possibly, you can use them for your portfolio, depending on the contract. And then you cannot sell them to another publication. You cannot make merchandise out of them. You cannot sell them third party to, you know, biographers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Which I actually think is fair. If a band, you're you're selling someone's likeliness for third party use, which is most likely could be some sort of merchandise that's screwing over the band. I'm that's not what my
0: intentions are right now. You might be thinking it's a little weird that a photographer could sell the picture of somebody else, but this is one of those weird legal gray areas where really, at the end of the day, the majority of musicians have way more money than the publications behind them. You'll see in a case like TMZ, who has tons and tons of money, and these stars don't want to waste all their money fighting it, that's why they get away with posting these paparazzi photos. But when it comes to a photographer taking a picture for Brooklyn Vegan or your local blog, and the band has it wants to fight that there's a dispute and they definitely don't want you obviously making merchandise or selling prints off of it, they usually can bully the photographer into stopping pretty easily. As anyone who's listened to this podcast before knows, I'm no fan of Taylor Swift. And one of the reasons that brought the subject of photographers' rights and how they're being abused to my attention was a conversation I had with Nick on Twitter where he pointed out that Taylor Swift, despite pretending to be a friend of the artist's, community during the whole Apple Music debacle was really using one of the most overreaching what they call a rights grab, which is where somebody starts to begin to go too far to someone else's rights with contracts and really, really fuck over photographers. This is kind of no shock since really at the end of the day, all of her quote unquote plight's tend to be a little vapid and exposed pretty easily for being selfish intent that she really just has. Taylor Swift actually did amend her contract. Here's what happened with that.
1: So Taylor Swift used to have what is usually called a rights grab. And a rights grab is exactly that, where my copyright and my right to the photos are given to management slash the artist without paying me, without doing anything, just because I took photos at a concert. Essentially, I take a photo of Taylor Swift. She loves it. She wants to use it for her next uh, the album cover of her next record. I don't have to get paid. They own my photo. What she did to amend that, there was a open forum, basically, of a photographer, I think, Jason Sheldon. Jason Sheldon wrote an open letter to Taylor Swift after her big debacle with Apple Music, which you all probably know about. So Jason Sheldon wrote how hypocritical it was that Taylor Swift had this rights grab contract that takes all the rights for photographers for no, no money. And I guess the criticism kept building and building and building and building where management had to react because no one was going to photograph the shows unless, you know, you get hired by a newspaper. So let me, let me go back just a little bit. Uh, the people, a lot of people who sign these contracts do it either as a humble brag or a lot of times, sometimes they get paid by a newspaper or for the venue or by live nation. So they sign these contracts and then they get paid on top of that. Uh, people who make their careers doing that don't mind it because they don't own the photos usually.
0: Now, what he's talking about here when we say that the photographer doesn't own the photos, it's because this photographer is being hired by, say, your state paper or... A publication like Rolling Stone or a blog that's paying them to go out and take photos for them so they don't really necessarily care about what the music photographers bottom line is at the end of the day because they feel like they're paying them for this and later on they can they're already getting what they want from this which is just a photo to accompany some of their coverage much like Kanye did for Taylor I'm gonna let Nick finish
1: what they did was they amended the contract and did a standard editorial re- release. They amended it by saying, all right, you own the photos. We don't own them. You can only use them for the publication. And you have to contact us if you want to use them further, but you can't use them for merchandise, et cetera, et cetera. And that's awesome. You know what? She's the biggest art. She's arguably the biggest artist in the world. And that's a big win for us. You know, I, again, I'm not opposed to signing editorial contracts, I've signed plenty of them.
0: I also talked to my friend Carly Hoskins who photographs at CarlyHoskins.org and this is ThisIsChuck.org who also makes a living being a tour manager and roadie for bands and taking pictures for them while they're on the road. She takes a harder ethical stance on this issue.
2: I make a conscious effort not to go shoot bands who have rights grabbing contracts because it's, it's wrong to do that. The publications that I shoot for when I'm home fortunately aren't breathing down my neck requiring me to shoot for Shoot bands that require rights grabbing contracts.
0: So the sad thing is, this doesn't stop with Taylor Swift. In fact, some of the bands that I'm sure many of you think are very cool, like the Foo Fighters and Paramore actually have been accused of having similarly bad contracts that are total rights grabs to photographers. And sadly, they even have them to this day. And some, in some cases, they're even worse than this. Nick goes on to talk about some of the other weird practices in this that some of these bands have in their contracts.
1: So one is the pre-approval release. I know of a few bands that have this the offspring has this alice in chains has this where band will approve the photos that you're allowed to publish where if they say you can't publish it you cannot publish it literally as it seems it's pre approval a lot of people have this because they're getting old or they have a double chin
0: gawker famously pointed out that ariana grande has this where she can only be photographed from one side and nick points out that the artist banks also has this even though she's quite small and with a dramatically smaller following than all the other bands we've been talking about this still exists in the underground this even includes silly little nitpicking details in the contract like you can only photograph her for one to two songs that if you're injured at the show that the artist doesn't take responsibility this is unfortunate if you're a photographer who uh, might be dealing with um, some of the many musicians who've been accused of beating up photographers over the years at their shows lastly though one of the stupidest things these artist contracts do is prohibit them from being able to have their music spread by more publications picking it up. common saying is, all press is good press. Yet so many of these contracts limit the fact that you won't be able to have these pictures for use in other publications aside the one that you're working with.
1: Photographers are only allowed to use uh, the photos that they shot for that publication that you shot for and nothing else. You cannot use it for another publication. This is actually how I make a good chunk of my money from shooting, is where I'll shoot... Uh, let's use a band like Ed Sheeran. I've shot Ed Sheeran at the par- uh, at a secret show at the Paramount uh, for a publication. I then, with permission from the publication I shot for, I send, submit my photos to, let's say, like, Rolling Stone and Rolling Stone picked it up on their hottest live photos of 2014, I think that was. And that's money for me. And that's also exposure for the artist. I got... Twin forks into Rolling Stone ones who aren't really that big are in Rolling Stone. And if they had that construct, I couldn't get them in. You know, you see the photo, you're going to see the photos on Tumblr, which is technically illegal if you have a rights grab.
0: One of the hidden sides of copyright is always that copyright can also constrict how much your music is promoted. One of the greatest examples of this was the atrociously bad Psy Gangnam Style song. Cause that didn't have such a strict copyright, there was so many people who were able to make videos of their babies dancing to it, stuff like that, which helped make it spread because people would go seek out the original and that's how it became the first YouTube video to get to a billion views. Copyright can diminish the way your music is promoted. It's often thought of as a way to protect yourself, but restrictive copyright doesn't always make sense. This is why there's also things like Creative Commons, which is what we use for this podcast, which is if you want to take a snippet of this podcast and use it for something, and it's just a small part that helps you tell your narrative, you're allowed to do that at any time. I also have administrated a creative commons for my book, Get More Fans, so if you want to cite it, you know that it's okay as long as you give me credit to take a little bit of it to make your point further, as long as it's a reasonable portion. Nick goes on to give some advice to photographers on how to deal with these releases if you're ever presented with one.
1: You know, asking never hurts. What's the worst that's gonna happen? As you say, someone says no to you. I've been rejected so many times from shooting concerts that I'm pretty much immune to any girl ever rejecting me. You know, wh- what's the worst that's gonna happen? They're gonna say no. Best best case scenario is that you can waive certain parts of the release, like the rights grab. Some publicists are understanding of that. I say some.
0: Sadly, it's not just bands who can afford contracts who screw over music photographers. Many small bands don't realize that they need to attribute works of art that these pictures are, as well as also pay photographers for the photos they take of them. Now, this isn't the case for everything, and there's exceptions to this rule, but In all reality, you really, really, really have to get permission from the photographer and ask how they want to be attributed and link them just as you would want your music to be if it was used in something else, like a movie, etc. Here's what happens when a band takes a photograph from a photographer and doesn't credit them in Nick's experience.
1: I don't mind if a band uses my photo for social networking, as long as you credit me. When it comes to just posting a photo on like Instagram or Facebook, you're not going to make money off that. However, if you're using it for an advertisement or a promotion or a Facebook-sponsored post, that's where I'm just like, uh... Let's let's talk, because that's that's using my photos for exactly what it is, advertising. Uh, To rectify that, you have to hit up the manager. Skip the ban, go straight to a management.
0: You see, social media is a gray area, so photographers, if they had the money, could argue that they need to be paid for you using social media because it's a promotional material. But ads, using t-shirts, album covers, all of that is protected by concrete laws that were established many decades ago before the World Wide Web was the wonderful place it is today.
1: It's illegal to use it. And hopefully photographers register their photos to the Library of Congress where they can get statutory damages on top of that. The, the law says that you're allowed to collect damages 90 days past the infringement and upon registering your photo. So say any band uses my photo on their t-shirt and it starts, let's say, today, which is in August. I have 90 days to register my photo in the Library of Congress in order to get statutory damages on
0: top of that. What's even more ridiculous is if bands get... And buy these photos in advance from the photographer before they inevitably find out that they use them wrongly, they would be paying a lot less than if the photographer asked to actually take them to court for all of this.
1: Normally, it's going to be a few hundred to a few thousand dollars depending on the band. You know, if it's a, if it's a small pop punk band, it's going to be a few hundred bucks. If it's a large you know, arena act, you're going to ask for a few thousand. I've seen one instance where someone was some band was insane enough to give a person a percentage deal, like a one percent, two percent percentage deal, and they made bank. I'm not gonna name the artist, but it was it was an arena worth. Like I do not understand why they just didn't give a flat out rate. Uh, With statutory damages, you're allowed to collect up to $150,000 worth of damages. With that
0: being said, you're not going to get (laughs) $150,000. So what does a photographer do if in fact a band is stolen from them? Here's what Carly had to say
2: you should approach the situation cordially, especially if it's a smaller band. They probably didn't know any better, even though it may seem obvious that in order to use someone's work, especially for profit, you not only have to obtain permission, but license it from them. If the band has a manager, the manager absolutely should have known better, but you should still try. If you come in ready to spit fire, it's gonna turn bad quickly. Email the band or manager and say, hey, I've discovered this use of my photo. No one ever contacted me to not only ask if it was okay to use it, but to bother to license it from me, maybe say, "This is what I usually charge for a, someone to license a photo for that type of use. How would you like to resolve the situation?"
0: Here's what Nick had to say:
1: Contact a manager. If you can't find a manager, find the uh, find the label, and then from there you you work your way up. You keep emailing. You email the publicist that approved you for your photo. That like, hey, why is my photo on a T-shirt? Can you please? Uh, get me the contact for a manager because a publicist is not you know is not to blame for for a band ripping you off you know it's it's going to be either someone designing merch slash cd cover it's going to be some sort of management it's going to be some sort of usually an intern that doesn't know the logistical rights of a photographer and what their intellectual copyright is
0: one of the sad things is is that selling to a media company that has the money for this which is pretty rare it's really going to be magazines and the bigger publications or a band to use your photo on a t-shirt an album poster or an ad, or whatever is some of the only ways that these photographers can make money especially now these days we've seen that photographer prints have been looked down upon on and in some cases because musicians are making so little money it's seen as stealing from them whereas this used to be a very common thing. And on the streets of New York City, everywhere you go, famous photographers used to sell pictures of the biggest bands of the day. And now in the underground this has gotten to seen be seen as a cannibalistic towards the musicians who they're taking the photo of their likeness to.
1: There's been a lot of discussions with whether Photographers can or should sell prints of bands without permission. I'll state it that I always ask for permission before I sell a print.
0: Carly drives this point home in a different way.
2: If you're selling enough of them and successful enough in it to make any sort of profit, band or management or whomever will find out and either ask you to stop or ask you for money and certainly not a good way to start out a relationship with a band or manager probably burn those bridges.
0: Carly's also found another way to make money doing photographs, since she also tours with bands on the road. She offers this as a bonus for her services.
2: At this point, I'm on the road so much that the majority of my business dealings are with the bands that I'm on tour with and who have hired me to go out with them. I'm fortunate in that in my relationships with them, they all value my work and my time Enough that it's not an issue to get paid for what I do. I toured with dads for about three years, and they treated me exceptionally well. I got to go pretty much everywhere with them and document everything for about three years. It resulted in a lot of fun implement. It resulted in a lot of fun implementations of my work. In one of the pre-order packages for the last LP that they released, six one three one included some photo prints of mine. That was pretty cool. Last summer, I was able to do a fun thing. I was selling live prints from the set that night, like immediately after the set. Uh, It was on the tour that we did with Tiger John, Touche More. And because we were the one of three on that bill, I could quickly shoot and run back to merch, have my prints ready to go and sell them with the t-shirts. And records that i was selling for the
0: band there's also the rare but profitable potential to make money off of selling this to a brand that a musician is affiliated with
1: like an ernie ball or a fender or something along those lines are potential clients as well you have to kind of be creative and see who you can sell your photos to that's the kind of the name of the game for this
0: not all of the rewards are monetary there are other reasons people do this. It's fulfilling, it's creative, it's a nice thing to do, and you get to be close to the bands you love. One of the things I got from talking to both Carly and Nick is that this is not easy, but they love it and are passionate enough that they are driven to do it every day, and they really love it. Here's Carly talking about some of the rewards she gets from it.
2: Well, it can be a lot of fun. It can also be annoying and tiring and not pay well. It could very easily, and for most people, not pay anything or... Barely anything, and it can be difficult to get the shots you want in with certain constraints. Like, if you're just shooting for a publication and just have those three songs to shoot, it can be difficult to get the shots you want. I mean, for me, the best part about photographing bands is that it's led to everything that I'm doing right now. I wouldn't be on tour right now if I never shot shows, I wouldn't be a tour manager or a guitar tech if I never started shooting shows. I started shooting shows because it was a so just something fun just for me. And I just wanted to keep doing it better. And I really like the documentary aspect of being able to shoot bands on tour. Very easy for a band to get shots of them live. The more documentary style, like behind the scenes kind of stuff that you can get when you're living with a band. Uh, it's much more exciting and fulfilling to. Because I started shooting shows and ended up on tour, I I got to go on a European tour. Right now I'm on my first bus and arena tour rather. I've met great people from all over the U.S various places in Canada. I feel very fortunate for the opportunities I've been afforded and the people who've given them to me. Since
0: I always like to end these segments with something you can do to make this change if you're upset about it, one of the ways you can do this is if you know one of your favorite bands is doing this to photographers and you really enjoy seeing great concert photos and see them mistreating the photographers you love, you can tweet at them and say that you don't appreciate this. There's no need to be mean and tell them that they're horrible people and you hope they should die of an awful STD or anything. Just say You don't think it's right that they do this. Musicians listen these days, and they especially listen to what their fans are passionate about. So keep in mind, you have power in this to make a change if you don't like what's going on. On the new Off the Record, isn't just two of us talking at you. We'd like to hear about what you think. So this week, I want you to tell Off the Record how long should an opening band set be? And how long should a headliner set be? All you got to do is record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at offtherecordfm at gmail.com. That's offtherecordfm at gmail.com. We'll play the best responses on next week's episode. Up next, we have a fun game from Off The Record contributor Brett Martone he runs quiet fire media and plays in the band head north and he came up with a cool way of looking at a band's work and their creative output through time and this is the first taste of something that is going to be really cool that we're going to do
3: Welcome to Sicker Iconic, the game where we decide what you love stands as the test of time, or if you need to go schedule a tattoo removal appointment. Uh, usually I will have a superstar celebrity co host anchor with me to discuss the legitimacy of, of past trends. However, today it is just me. Mono a no filter, baby, just hard hitting journalism. So. Sick or Iconic? Sick or Iconic? That's the game that we're going to play today. Um, first on the docket, NWA. NWA has a new movie out called Straight Outta Compton. If you don't know that, I don't know where the fuck you've been. But, new movie out called Straight Outta Compton. Highly recommend. Great film. Totally great film. Badass. Awesome story. Everything is great about it. However... Not accurate, not a biopic They painted it as a biography of what happened Not in any way I remember one scene in particular There was this one scene where Dr. Dre gets in, in a tiff It might have been the day he got in a tiff with his girlfriend uh, it might have been He might have been beefing out with, with Easy or, or Cube in the studio or something Whatever, moral of the story, he was pissed off about something So, just for fun or to blow off steam or to entertain himself I don't know why rappers do what they do But I, I like it, I enjoy it he decides to just casually, just casually go on this 150 mile an hour car chase down the LA highway, eight cop cars following him, the helicopters, all sorts of crazy shit, and the whole time he's painted as 100% in control of the car, 100% coherent. However, not accurate, not accurate at all. Really, he got a DUI that night, which is a big deal in and of itself, but also the DUI violated his parole for a battery assault charge that they never brought up in the fucking movie at all. closest they brought and got to it was, was his stu- his girlfriend came to the studio one day with this kid, and she was like, I gotta you need to help me take care of him, I'm living at your auntie's house on the couch, you're not doing anything, you're in the studio 12 hours a day, I never see you, I never hear from you, I need help taking care of this kid, and he's like, listen baby, I, I gotta make this music, I don't know what you want from me, like that's an admirable thing in a human, like they, they try to paint him as a superhero, that just, look, I get, <clears throat> I should say, Dr. Dre, I believe, as an artist, so sick, so talented. His beats are still so sick. They hit so hard. I love it. The, the, his creativity, his use of samples, his his understanding for what makes hip-hop a, a, a culture is just unparalleled, even still. But to paint him as this superhero who who... who who did no wrong ever in his life and was just this misunderstood, and, uh, the holding Caulfield-esque kind of person. Completely, completely wrong. But that's not the question at hand here. The question at hand here is, is N.W.A. sick or iconic? And I think that there is no question. I know that there is no question. They are so iconic. Hundreds, of thousands of artists have been influenced by them. However, N.W.A. Not sick And I'm, I'm I'll level with you Fuck the Police Is a good song Straight of Compton Is a great song Fucking that, But that record As a whole Is trash Ren is trash Easy I'm not even gonna front Easy I know you were The front man Trash You have no good verses You have a couple good lines And some songs Or whatever But, but every rhyme Is nursery rhymes it, It's basic There's nothing to it And every song on that Is the same exact idea Over a different beat There's no even overarching theme To connect them there's no anything there's no narrative it's just this 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 and this it, it, i get that that was that was the era of early 90s hip-hop and i understand that but it does not hold up now it is not sick it does not matter so nwa not sick the Compton as a record not sick it doesn't hold up beats on dre's beats very sick some of Cube's verses is very sick. Nothing else on that record is sick. There's nothing that makes it insane other than the fact that they were the ones to do it first. And that makes them iconic, does not make them sick.
0: If you're hearing this music, that means that it's time for an ad. This week's episode is brought to you by a project that's near and dear to my heart. It's my book, Get More Fans the DIY Guide to the New Music Business, which is a 725-page guide to the ideas, tools, and techniques you need to know to get your music heard in the music business today. I spent four years researching the book, writing down everything I learned about the music business, working in nearly every aspect of the music business since I was a teenager. It has just been updated for 2015, and there's over 100 pages of new or refreshed content in this year's edition. To learn more, go to getmorefansbook.com. Up next, I had a conversation with Clyde Smith. He's a former blogger at HypeBot, which you may have read his stuff if you kept up with that blog over the recent years. It's one of the best music business blogs out there, and now he's presently doing a really awesome series on music startup CEOs and profiling them and the attitudes they're taking towards breaking their new companies he also does a great blog that you should read if you're thinking about doing a kickstarter or an indiegogo or a pledge music called crowdfunding for musicians he's the editor at DanceLand, which covers the world of dance He's also a big fan of Bernie Sanders. Now, I promise this show isn't going to always be very political. Let's remember, first episode of New Thing, don't judge it as a whole. But I do think what happened with Bernie Sanders this week relates to music. And I do think it's interesting what he's saying, because it's so far away from every other politician. If you have the least bit of interest in who you're going to vote for for president this year, I think you should really listen to this about why musicians should think about Bernie Sanders as a vote. Here's my conversation with Clyde. So this week there was news that Bernie Sanders, a presidential candidate on the Democratic side, was interrupted by testers from the Black Lives Matter movement. So this got a little tricky to me, and I can't really figure out where I feel about it, because on one side, I really feel like what Black Lives Matter is doing, and this is a time we should be listening, because I think a lot of people don't understand where this comes from and really how severe this is. On the other hand, when an audience is there to see somebody speak, to totally shut them down and not allow them to speak seems a little weird to me. And it brings back thoughts of like when Kanye stole the mic from Taylor Swift. And I, I'm very conflicted about whether the stage is a sacred space or not. And, or, you know, as somebody who really champions DIY musicians and indie musicians, if we should be trying to champion the fact that insurgent people with a strong message should be taking the mic and getting rid of the power structure. Do you have any feelings on that? You
4: you said a lot right there. (laughs) I mean, I would separate it first. Go ahead and just separate from the Kanye incident. That was much more about celebrity ego and the attention that he feels he deserves and his friends deserve. And given that he already had so much attention, I mean... It's much harder to be sympathetic to that move he made. Uh, agreed. In terms of Black Lives Matter, I mean, obviously we're we're talking about a group that doesn't have one spokesperson. It's not a everybody involved with it doesn't necessarily agree. It's uh, as, as I understand it, it's more of an ad hoc formation. But I think we can we can see clearly that Black America is in a crisis. To some extent, that extends really extends back to Africans first being brought here in slavery. They'll talk about these things having going on, and I, and by these things going on, I mean of course the murder of black citizens by the police across the nation, which has been horrifying us. Yes. And but has I think come to the forefront partly because of cell phones being able to m- take video social media allowing us to distribute that widely for almost no cost whatsoever. And so suddenly the stuff that used to be talked about in the press and going to court with eyewitnesses, there's suddenly these videos and things that, you know, you look at it and go, there's no way you can justify what we're seeing. So, and yet we're not stopping it. People are trying to do the body cams. Obama supported body cams. You know, we're moving in that direction. I think that will help. The murders continue. I mean, I've been very upset. I can understand why particularly a black activist focused on those issues is going to feel justified taking anybody's mic. Now, that said, that said, you know, Bernie Sanders is somebody with a history of support for civil rights. It's not that he marched with King years ago. It's that he's continued to uphold those stances. After the initial incident, I guess that was in Seattle. Yes. You know, he brought on a Black Lives Matter activist to his team. She introduced him in LA. He's added a major plank to his platform, looking at issues of economic and racial violence. He's always, his big thing has always been to focus on the economic. He is a socialist. He recognizes that you know, black people are disproportionately poor. Focusing on economic issues will help black America in ways that will be very powerful. You know, sometimes you'll talk with these folks and it's like everything boils down to an economic issue. And as an artist and cultural worker, I feel like there are other things to talk about. But I understand where he's coming from. But he's been responding. And I think he'll continue to respond. And I don't think it will take grabbing his mic at multiple events to, I don't think that's needed to keep moving him forward and to get him to address the issues that people want. So I have these mixed feelings. I feel like, okay, I was upset at first by the maneuver, but I understand it, but I don't want it to keep going. You know, Sanders is, he's running for president. You can't run for president on a single issue. He might've liked to run on economic issues alone, but he's seeing that he can't do that and that's good. But we also, as people concerned with social change, I certainly am, have been for all my adult life, we can't take our most important issue and expect him to run his campaign on that and win. So to take it back
0: to a greater issue of music and what a stage is, I think the big problem I have the more I think about this is that at the end of the day, Sanders wasn't able to give his message to people who assembled to him but i do think about the idea that people come to a place and that sometimes like in if we call it an art space or a forum or whatever we want to call it when we all get together in a town that there is some room for that sometimes you know we need to go and take the more prevailing message of the day in front of a wider audience and i think about this in terms of like the urgency of DIY music or political bands these days of getting their message out to people. But I think the one thing I I don't like is the shutting down the entire thing when an audience came to see somebody and making it so that then they're not even able to speak afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think about, you know, during the 80s punk bands scene, like, you know, when people would run onto the stage and, you know, show, uh, show a T-shirt or a phrase uh, against the war or something like that. But mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a way that this works into music and that, yes, there is a listen to be word, that there should be some insurgence of going to the mainstream and trying to get what's really happening. Like, you know, part of me thinks a lot of people are very ignorant, even when Taylor Swift talks about, Artist rights, I think about what could be learned from this of making sure bigger musicians talk about what's happening to indie musicians and how unfair they're treated today. Do you have any feelings about that?
4: I think it depends, you know, on what you're trying to achieve, how your tactics fit into that. I was reminded of what happened at Woodstock, the first Woodstock, The Who were playing, and Abby Hoffman tried to take the mic, Mm. and like Pete Townsend hit him with his guitar, knocked him off stage. (laughs) <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, it's uh great. I think there's I didn't get a chance to check it out. I think there's actually video on YouTube of that or something about it. it It can be hard. You know, anytime you disrupt any kind of performance, people are gonna be upset. and there are ways to do it to put your message out there and then the show can go on. There are musicians that will respond to a particular message if you try to reach them through channels that they feel are acceptable. But I mean, sometimes you do have to grab the mic. It needs to be clear what you're doing and why. I don't, I don't feel like, like with the Black Lives Matter, I don't feel like it's necessarily been clear to people what's going on. If you're talking about trying to reach people that don't know your message, I'm not sure they've done a great job of that. It's difficult. It's difficult because you're also, anytime you decide to do that, you're obviously addressing an issue that's really important to you. And you think, if I just say it, people should understand it. Or if I just explain it, people should understand it. And the reality is even a well-thought-out explanation is not going to necessarily reach people. There's no, like, one rule you can set up for yourself as to how to make that work. I don't know. Sometimes you just have to uh, choose slower methods even though uh, you're in a crisis. I hate to say that. Right now, I'm working a 950-an-hour job in a grocery store. Okay, I'm hoping for better things to happen. I'm doing the various projects you mentioned in the intro that I'm not even trying to monetize those because I feel like for them to become what they need to do, I need to give them room to grow. And in the long term, I mean, I have these long-term visions for myself, even though I'm a lot older than... Most people are when they start having long-term visions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tough. Nine fifty an hour is above the minimum wage, but it is not a living wage. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are in crisis. And when I look at Bernie Sanders, he's addressing all these crises. Um, he wants a $15 minimum wage. He's talking about global warming. I think he just introduced a bill in part of, about environmental issues. And part of what he's focusing on is that these issues disproportionately affect poor people. And that's true in poor people of color, poor white people, anywhere you have poor people, you can look around and you'll start finding, you know, waste dumps, pollution hazards, I mean... These things are all very much interconnected. It's tough to move forward on all of them. If you focus on a single issue, it's a little easier. But even then, figuring out how to get your message out is difficult. We've got social media, but there's so much noise there. I mean, you also work with music marketing, so you know how hard it is to get, say, the word out about a new band. You can have a band that is incredible. Are people even going to take a minute or two two to three minutes to listen to a single. That's almost impossible if you haven't done all sorts of work to get that message out in a way that they can take it in. So I think the challenges of, you know, the challenges of putting a message across are even tougher because at least with music, you know, people think, well, I think of music as something I enjoy. I think of politics as something that upsets me and man, I really wish I could ignore it and just go about my daily life. So the That's challenges of getting a message out are very, very difficult. To bring this back
0: to the focus of something you, you, we had talked about uh, before we started taping is that obviously this is musicians and you know musicians are poor. So everything we just discussed is very much why, why I think it's important to support Sanders because he cares about the poor, cares about the artist, famously his wife, um, provided the venue where many punk bands throughout the 90s and 2000s played, and they were involved in the arts in the town he was mayor of in Burlington, Vermont. What I wanted to get into, though, is, too, is, you know, even if you're not a political person, as just said, it, I think that there's some reasons that musicians should um, focus on at least reading up and getting to know what Sanders is doing. Um one of my th- arguments that I write before every election I read an article on is always that you, if you're a musician or just somebody who loves the internet and independent music, you should always focus on where somebody stands on net neutrality. And I think net neutrality is safest in Sanders' hands. So at the very least, making it so that you don't have major label acts shoved down your throat— by money corrupting the internet is one of the more important things, but I want to get your perspective on why Sanders is good for DIY musicians.
4: I think we can say this about Sanders, but we can say th- and but we can also say this about the issues he's addressing more generally, because this is something I've thought about quite a bit. I was in my 20s during the 1980s. I was living primarily in North Carolina. Rent, food, everything was a lot cheaper then wages for retail jobs were not that much lower than they are now. And I was in a scene with a lot of artists. I was doing dance, performance art, spoken word, and then also just taking time to make, do drawings and stuff that I never showed to anybody, but I spent a lot of time and had a lot of free time because I could afford to work part-time, live with you know friendly people in shared housing settings, ride around on my bike, although people in the same situation had cars. Mm-hmm and have a very rich artistic life and work part-time. And I don't think anybody, I'm not sure anybody can do that now unless they have special skills, like, you know, if you're a programmer or something, you could work part-time on special Mm -hmm. projects, save up some money, work on your own art. But most DIY musicians it's going to be a long time before they can make a living off their music. So there's that phase where you're having to support yourself by something by doing other things where things like minimum wage are important, having health care, affordable health care. You know, he's talking about, Sanders is talking about expanding Medicare so that instead of having all these insurance companies in the game where citizens that need healthcare can get it regardless of their economic condition. And I know so many, you know, there's so many musicians with heartbreaking stories, you know, it's I'm sure if you kept an eye on it you'd find stuff every week where people are doing fundraisers to help with hospital bills mm-hmm. and the, and they're not those kind of fundraisers they're not going to cover those hospital bills you know it ends up with a small check that ha- is helpful but half the time is symbolic in comparison to the crazy bills people get mm-hmm. and um these are these are real ongoing issues but even say let's say you do start to hit the point where you're generating enough income that you can just do your music full-time, you know, there is still medical issues. There are all sorts of economic issues that aren't just about people who can't earn a living wage who are deeply impoverished, um, you know, part of what Sanders is talking about is the destruction of the middle class. Now, that's something I think we'll hear a lot about from Hillary, because a lot, and from Republican politicians, in some ways, I mean, they're, some of them will figure out ways to talk about this. Yes.
0: Ted, Ted Cruz has already tried to disingenuously okay. pretend that he cares about the poor.
4: Well, I mean, you know, they'll say a lot of things, and they, but they all also recognize that there are a lot of voters in the middle class. Mm-hmm. And middle class is upset you know, these economic issues affect everybody. They affect crime. I mean, I mean, if you're richy rich hanging outside the club and somebody rolls up and, you know, takes your chain or whatever, a lot of those people come from poor backgrounds. The only way to move forward is to conduct crime. And crime rises with difficult economic circumstances. Uh,
0: Disparate between the rich and poor, the crime goes up, yes.
4: There's ways these affect everybody, and they can affect musicians at all levels. But I think particularly for DIY musicians, you probably will never get rich, but could actually be working musicians, have the potential for that to get from not making any money, to making money, to being, like, not worried about Week to week is, okay, I'm making enough money this week. How are we going to get tickets to go to this European thing and introduce ourselves in Europe? Like I was hanging out with a choreographer friend of mine from Chicago. He and his partner are living like they get about... Aside from the money it takes for their shows, a separate thing, their personal income is about 12000 a year each, and they're living in Chicago, which is not a cheap place to live. They also can't grow in certain ways because they don't have the money to go to Europe in festivals. It's, their act is one that I think would actually be well-received in Europe. There's more support there. They could start teaching workshops. There, It's the kind of act where I think they could do an annual trip to Europe for at least a month and come back with money, not having lost money, but having made money. And I think that's true for a lot of bands, that there are opportunities that, you know, I've known musical acts here that I think would actually have better audiences in Europe, and I'm sure that's true in other markets. Yeah,
0: that's, it's a very common thing, actually. The sad, the sad thing is America, we're so oversaturated, and Europe is a little bit more grateful for the musicianship that we have here.
4: You know, one thing I should point out though, mm-hmm. I know for a lot of a lot of DIY mission, musicians are young. They're still hoping to make it work. Musicians get older, if things aren't happening, they turn it into a part-time thing or a hobby often enough and but for young people it's often hard to recognize the healthcare issue. I know for me in my 20s, I didn't have any major I had some issues joint issues related to dancing But that was about it. I guess I had back pain, too, and that would come up, say, when I was working, washing dishes at a restaurant or whatever. But really, I didn't have major health issues that were facing me. As you get older, no matter who who you are, you're going to run into things and you're going to have more needs. And some of the problems I'm facing now, say, with dental work is because I went through— periods for a long time where I just didn't see a dentist. And I was kind of, I mean, it was kind of dumb because probably some of that time, I, you know, most of that time I could have afforded to or could have figured out a way to make it work. When you're younger, it's harder to see the healthcare aspect. But I think, you know, if you're somebody listening to this podcast or thinking about these issues, just look at older musicians, see what they're facing, ask older musicians about what they face around healthcare, because they may not talk about it much. A lot of people don't want to talk about their problems because most people don't want to hear about it. Well, and also
0: it's not the you know the the most glamorous thing. And we're no. trying to say, hey, pay attention to me, and then let me bone you out.
4: Yeah, let me sing you a song about chemotherapy. <laughs> it's like you know it's an awful thing, and sometimes for musicians, music is how they not get away from it exactly, but how they cope and remind themselves there's a better world and better energy that they can tap into every day. So I think. Um, There's so many ways to look at this, but in my view, out of every candidate I see running now that I consider viable, and I do consider Sanders viable, he's the one that DIY musicians should really be checking out and ultimately embracing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for
0: your insight on all this. I think that there was a, a lot of great points you made that I, as somebody who thinks about this stuff all day, have not even thought about, and I really appreciate it. This week for recommendations, I'd like to recommend, first off, a great movie I saw last night. Uh, It was the premiere of Bomb the Music Industry's documentary, Never Get Tired, which was just really uh, invigorating to watch because it just showed somebody who really had a unique vision and really moved people on. It was just awesome to see, and it was very well done. The second thing I'd like to recommend, which will be linked in the show notes, is an interview I did with eric tries too hard's podcast it's a long dive into my career and some thoughts on creativity and what makes music great and all that fun stuff if you want to hear more of my voice i'd also like to plug that the stories of living record i produced on standby records is out this week if you really loved early Forever of the sickest kids and for your strong i highly recommend checking out stories of living save your breath lp on all the places you regularly stream music. Next up, we have a recommendation from Nick Karp.
1: There's this band I just heard called Power Bottom. Best band name ever. Uh, No vowels. Ironically, they also have a split with the other best band name, Jawbreaker Reunion. Releasing a new record on September 18th. I've heard three songs from it that are on the internet. It's absolutely incredible. The other one is check out Chris Gethard, the Chris Gethard Show. Find him hysterical. Uh, He was probably as awkward as can imagine.
0: Carly Hoskins.
2: I've been really into the new Speedy Ortiz record, Foil Deer. I think Sadie's an unbelievable lyricist, guitar player, vocalist, musician all around. I wish that I could do any single one of those things half as well as she could
4: do them. Here's Clyde Smith. Pharmacon. But Pharmacon is P-H-A-R-M-A-K-O-N. And it's kind of, uh industrial noise experimental act there's something really overwhelming and powerful about the music this is going to sound nutty but when she starts screaming i've started crying more than once and she says that people come to her shows and there'll be people that will cry or people that will start screaming in the audience
0: and each week we're going to feature a different off the record contributor who's going to give some recommendations Here's Casey I'm going to
5: keep it simple, I'm going to recommend three bands and uh, some corresponding albums that I think that listeners past and present um, would really dig or maybe have overlooked. Uh, first band I'm going to recommend is a band from Champaign, Illinois. Uh, they're called Hum. Uh, rose to prominence in the 90s with their radio hit Stars, um, but I think they got washed up in the whole grunge and alternative era, uh, which I don't really think they fit into. Um, I think they're one of the first bands that did the quiet, loud, quiet thing uh, very well, and I think that if you listen to this band, you'll see that a lot of the bands from our scene, past and present, have been influenced by them in one way or another. Two of their albums are considered regarded classics, rather. Uh, One's called uh, You Prefer an Astronaut, which is phenomenal, and that's what the song Stars is on. And then the other one, which is my personal favorite, uh, would be called Downward is Heavenward. Uh, Great band. Check them out. Second band I'm going to recommend is a band from my neck of the woods from uh, Andover, Mass., I believe. Their name is Piebald. Uh, You may have heard of them, but uh, I definitely don't think they got their due in their day. They definitely had their their minute. Uh, I know they were on MTV and and whatnot. But um, I think this band really laid the groundwork for like quirky alt rock bands, like punky bands with kind of a like a weird stadium rock feel, like uh, Motion City Soundtrack or uh, Say Anything. Uh, and if you listen to them, you I think you'll you'll pick up what I mean. The album I'm gonna recommend uh, by them is We Are the Only Friends We Have, and I really think it's a just perfect album, start to finish. So definitely check that out. Third band I'm gonna recommend is going to be be a band that most of you should be familiar with, but I'm going to recommend an album that I think is often overlooked in their discography. Uh, The band, of course, is Saves the Day, and the record I'm going to recommend is Sound the Alarm, uh, produced by Steve Evitz, who did Being Cool, and bands like Dillinger, and uh, actually the new Wonder Years album, which I'm afraid to say, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm actually really excited for it, so we'll see what happens with that. Sound the Alarm is simultaneously their most aggressive, yet has their most masterfully crafted pop songs, in my opinion. Uh, check out songs like Eulogy, 34, uh, Disease, Say You'll Never Leave, and I think you'll, you'll see what I mean. They have absolutely the best chord progressions, I think. They have counterpoint and melody and instrumentation. Uh, Chris's most biting and dark and really introspective lyrics, and if uh, and he remembers this time in particular in the Saves the Day continuum, yeah, this is the era that Chris had uh, pink hair and really lost his mind. So, awesome album, really overlooked. Probably, when I rank my Saves the Day albums, this is always in the top two. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to Off The Record. If you enjoy the show, the best way to say thank you is to share this episode on social media, whether it's your Twitter, your Facebook, your Tumblr, your whatever, and just tell your friends. We just want the word to spread. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, it's at OffTheRecordFM. You can get show notes, explore old episodes at OffTheRecord.FM. If you think we should be talking about something, please let us know with the hashtag TellOTR on Twitter or ask us via Tumblr at OffTheRecord.FM. This episode was produced by Jesse Cannon and Ashley Aaron. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week.